Hi everyone. Welcome back to Spoken Word with Electronics. We're at episode 17 and this week's show will be on sound design for interior decoration of your home and mood. Decorating my room right now with a Pulsar 23 drum. Kind of colors the whole room in a nice shade of orange. If you hear color and sound. Sound can color a room both figuratively and non-figuratively. It can color and fill a room just as much as any other sensorial effect. A lot of decorators talk about lighting is a very important idea and a lot of industrial designers talk about sound if you ever fly you have experienced this as the airplane cabin is typically both giving you cabin pressure noise and an artificial noise soundtrack developed by a sound designer to make turbulence and other things less volatile seeming so Cabin pressure is a mix of both fake noise and real noise. At home, I like to use electronics to cover a room in a sustained tone sometimes. And this week, I will teach you how to make any room of your choice into a scene from Eraserhead or 2001 A Space Odyssey. David Lynch and Stanley Kubrick really understood mood more than anything. I think Lynch said about sound that it is paramount to setting and establishing the mood of a film. Both filmmakers have always selected some very smart uses of colored noise and filtering. So we'll have a discussion on using colored noise for sound design. In fact, one of the biggest errors people have whenever they're recording is trying to have as sterile environment as possible. And a common mastering trick is to insert a little noise into the signal path to recover that. And suddenly people will think, oh my gosh, it sounds so good. A way you can recover noise in a way that doesn't seem dishonest, just switch the recording format to tape. That will add a small tape hiss floor to the sound, and it immediately sounds less artificial. That's noise. And you know, I get a lot of listener requests about noise. Not a week goes by without someone writing in to request, and I'm quoting, Dear Spoken Word with Electronics, I'm completely lost. I have five people coming over for dinner. How can I get that comfortable room noise from a racer head in my kitchen? Well, you can all stop writing about that, as this week's demo will teach you precisely how to do that. You'll learn about colored noise and each frequency of colored noise. I'll teach you how to use gray noise, white noise, pink noise, and a dab of red noise. We'll go over blue and purple noise. We'll then slow down some field recordings of construction and a few other sounds, and you will have a very adequate, usable eraserhead mood to place into your room of choice at will. 
In particular, I'll show you how to get the introduction scene for the lady in the radiator. There's some amazing moments in that scene, in particular with sound design. It sounds like the whole room is covered in wind and sort of focusing on the radiator, which is itself hissing. David Lynch and Alan Splett invented the techniques for the film, and I've always enjoyed their explanation that it was largely achieved by slowing down recordings of plastic bottles and looped backward recordings sort of imparts a ghost-like myth into how the sound was made, and I don't want to debunk that. For me, the sound is largely the atmosphere of the wind and how everything glues together. And that glue is the uh, 907 fixed filter bank from a Moog. So, David Lynch would like to write me and correct me here, I'll put him on the show, but Eraserhead likely used a 1960s Moog 907 fixed filter bank to finalize and glue the sound, and also to operate certain interactions with the noise in the way that makes the wind happen, or the radiator hiss, or certain machinery seem farther away in the distance, or closer. And I happen to have a Moog 907 fixed filter bank in the studio right here. So my wager and tutorial this episode will be on using noise with the fixed filter bank and you'll learn how to cover any room with this sound. But before we do, I have an apology to make. As I mentioned, I'm using a 907 fixed filter bank in this episode and for me to acquire this, I recently got a little into time travel. I went back in time to pick up some old Moog gear. Did you know that there was a time in 1985 or so when all the major recording studios were junking some of the nicest analog gear in existence? This is because in 1983, Yamaha introduced the DX7, an all-digital synthesizer. And by 1985, all this beautiful analog equipment was gathering dust because it was considered a boring old sound. So it wasn't uncommon at the time to find Moogs listed in ads with the quote, for free if you can just pick it up. And CBS Studios, I found out, got rid of all their Moog gear in 1985. The DX7 Yamaha synthesizer nearly destroyed music when it was introduced in 1983. It was the sound of some pretty good things. Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone being a high point. And I think it was Hungry Eyes on the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. That one's a solid song, uses a DX7. But so much amazing music wasn't created because of this shift to digital synthesizer simulators. So when you jump back in time for this abandoned equipment, jump back in time for this abandoned equipment, 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 equipment. Time travel tip. When you jump back in time for this abandoned equipment, you have to be kind to other time travelers. You don't want to hoard. Only take what you need. And if we all agree to this, everyone always gets what they need. So I found out about CBS junking their Moogs, and I jumped back in time this week to grab a 907 fixed filter bank. I did this for our demo. 
I try to be frugal when I do this, when I do my time jumps, mostly to not hoard equipment and allow other time travelers their own shot in a module or two. So right now, if you want to jump back to the same moment in time, there should be a couple 921 oscillators and some other things. I think there was a CP3 mixer module that I left alone. But here's where my apology comes in. The Moog filter I found, as I said, was in New York, in the alley, right outside CBS Studios in 1985. When I zap back in time, I hate to admit that I hit a press assistant smoking a cigarette in the alley, and this uh, assistant worked for the show 60 Minutes. On their clipboard was a memo instructing Mike Wallace not to proceed with his segment on his guest, Donald Trump. This was one of Trump's first major TV appearances, and it was his first on 60 Minutes, and he took a direct shot at the press in this appearance, saying somewhat ominously, I believe the press makes me out to be something more sinister than I really am. Anyway, it's uh, sort of my fault that Trump got on the air with that segment. Apparently me hitting the press assistant on the ground knocked them out, and the instruction to not include Trump on the air that day seemed to have some consequences. And now, for some incredible reason, the president of the US is this Trump guy. When I zap back to present day this week, it looks like I botched some of the space-time continuum. And now, for some incredible reason, the president of the U.S. is this Trump guy. I really want to apologize for this if uh, it wasn't worth getting a 907 fixed filter bank. Had I not gone back, I don't know. I mean, I just sort of woke up and I'm seeing all this shit that's going on. And I gotta tell you, 20 minutes ago, it was not that way before I went back to get this module. So I have to think it was me knocking this uh, assistant in the alleyway with my foot when I flattened down onto the earth to grab the module. On the plus side though, you know, I have a nearly unused Moog filter to demonstrate sound design for Kubrick and Lynch movies. And jumping onto Wikipedia really quick, I was pleased to see the, that Lynch has done more movies than I remember. 20 minutes ago before I jumped back in time, the last film I ever remember Lynch making was Dune from 1984. And it seems my little bump back in time corrected a few other things and now there's a lot of other Lynch movies and TV shows for me to catch up on. There's something called uh, Blue Velvet from 1986 and some show that followed that called Twin Peaks. So I should say 20 minutes before, ago, in my previous timeline, Lynch was known as a cautionary tale, making two incredible black and white movies, uh, Racerhead and The Elephant Man, and then making Dune, and he never worked again. Somehow my bump in the alley of CBS Studios affected some decisions, and that gave him a second chance. I know there was another memo on that clipboard suggesting Dino De Laurentiis, uh, could be contacted to see if his uh, remaining agreement with Lynch could be used on some Return of the Jedi holiday special. And I guess that didn't happen, so the remaining contract was just offered to Lynch to make Blue Velvet. 
So maybe getting Donald Trump famous led to some happy accidents as well. These David Lynch movies look pretty interesting. It makes me sad that the world will never know about President Harry Belafonte. But I'm pleased to mention Barack Obama is president in both timelines. Even if I'm incorrect that this is how Eraserhead finished its sound, you'll find it's still a nice mood to soak your mind in. I like to make my room into Eraserhead occasionally, so I'll tell you those steps. When listeners aren't writing in asking how to turn their kitchens into a scene from Eraserhead, I sometimes hear from their computers. Sometimes a laptop or a computer will write me about how and ask for a tutorial on how to make the computer's living room or home office sound like a room aboard the Discovery One, which is the ship that housed HAL in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Kubrick was even more tight-lipped about techniques used in his films, but being completed in 1968 aims the sound design right on the mark with noise generators and other test equipment for sound design and Moogs were available for purchase around 1964 and 1965. It's very likely that Kubrick, who was gadget-obsessed, knew about this. So I'll show you how to make Hal's server room with a little blue noise and purple noise. And they even have a phoneme generator here that sings Daisy in a computer voice. And we'll play around a little with that. Might even be able to slow Daisy down and kill it just like dies uh, in the film. Sorry about that spoiler if you haven't seen it, but where are you in life if you haven't seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? Come on. If you're uh, at home with someone, I can suggest some phone apps that you can immediately download that offer noise filtering and noise generation too, so you can surprise them for dinner with a little eraser head or 2001 mood. I think right now while we're at home we need a couple surprises and saying hey you know this is just like that scene with the baby from Eraserhead might uh might bring a little sparkle into the into the dinner conversation oh that's what I'm hearing it's kind of fun to blend the science sounds from 2001 with the dream mood of Eraserhead they are both psychological horror movies and I think Kubrick favored blue noise for outer space while Lynch really likes his noise to be like his films. He, those early films, he likes gray noise, white noise, and alternately he also likes pink noise and red noise. Red noise is my favorite, by the way. Now in terms of giving color to noise, you might think I'm making a metaphor, but noise is one of the most interesting parts of sound design, and there's a spectrum of different noise colors. So let's start with this demo by describing what noise color is. 